Well, good morning and welcome back with me to what I am calling the Growing Strong Podcast, where we are seeking to immerse ourselves day by day in the living water of scripture so that our roots may grow deep, our faith would grow strong, and we would be like that tree in Psalm 1 and that tree in Jeremiah 17 that we talked about the last couple times that bears fruit and grows strong and whose roots are deep even in the year of drought, even when everything else in our world is falling apart, that we could be the type of people who are growing strong in the midst of whatever our circumstances are. So it's been a couple weeks since I've been here. Um, Most of you who know me know that we've all been sick, and I feel like my mind has been in an absolute fog for the past two weeks. So I couldn't even put two sentences together, let alone my thoughts and my my mind as I looked at the scripture day by day. But it's been killing me because I've been laying there in bed. I've been reading the scriptures day by day with you. And I've seen so many things that I've wanted to share. And here we are on, let's see, what day is today? The 25th? Yes, the 25th of January. And today we just ended the book of Genesis and we're already into the book of Exodus. And I realized I hardly touched on anything in the whole book of Genesis. And there's so much that I wanted to say. So kind of my plan, we'll see if I actually can do it or not, is just to touch on the beginning of Genesis today and maybe do another podcast later on this week or maybe tomorrow if I can get to it just showing you and talking about what I see in God's word as he points us to his kingdom. But anyway, this week, um, I think it was on, let's see here, I think it was on January 19th, as I thought about this podcast and I thought about growing strong and those trees that we've talked about the last couple times, I saw in a totally different light this week, and and I wanted to share it with with you just by way of introduction. If you look with me in Matthew chapter 13, or if you're in your one-year Bible, you can open it up to January 19th, I believe. Yes, January 19th is where these scriptures are. And I'm not going to read the whole parable, but this is the parable of the sower. And Jesus tells it, and then he tells the purpose of why he, he He shared in parables, and then he explains it. So I'm going to jump in uh, in verse 18 and read it for you and then just point out a couple things to you uh, that just stuck out to me this week. It says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it 
he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So what we see here as Jesus is explaining this parable to us is four different paths. And most of us are super familiar with this um, with this passage, so I'll just go through it real quickly. The first one is the seed that's sown on the path, and it says that the words that were spoken were not understood. They weren't understood, and because the words were not understood, the birds, or in this case the evil one, comes and snatches away what was spoken, and it's gone forever. The second is the rocky ground, which has no root. It endured for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arised, this seed fell away, and it says it fell away immediately. So here we have someone, the seed is tossed out all among the rocks. I can relate to that here because I have rocks everywhere on my property. You throw out some, some seed among the rocks, and it says... Though that person endured for a short while, when, when persecution or tribulation came, they immediately took off, fell away. The third type of path is the one where the seed is tossed out and it's tossed among the thorns. And this person, this seed, hears the word. But here's the problem. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. First time, they didn't understand it. Second time, they endured for a little while. But when persecution came, tribulation came, they left. They immediately left. They weren't going to stick around for that third person, third type of seed that's tossed out among the thorns is a person who hears the word the cares of the world come and this is what gets me in the culture where we live. It's not just the cares of the world but the deceitfulness of wealth comes. You realize that wealth is deceitful? In our culture, we are constantly driven for more, driven for bigger houses, more cars, more money, more retirement, more that, you know, the pay raises, everything that we could possibly have. We want more, more, more. God's word here says that's deceitful. Don't fall for it. I love the verse in, um, in Proverbs 30, it says, Two things I ask of you, deny, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And I love that. I love that. Because I live in a culture that is so full that it denies the Lord and says, who is he? 
Who is an who who even is he? And this book, this word here is saying, don't be like that. Don't be deceived by the deceitfulness of wealth. It's going to choke you and it's going to make you unfruitful. Anyway, the last type of soil is the good soil. This is the man, the woman who hears the word, who understands it. He doesn't fall away when tribulation or persecution comes. He isn't swayed by the cares or riches of this world. His root is deep and the seed grows strong and it bears fruit. And I just love that because it's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. I love that because I don't want to be on the path and hear the word and it's snatched away or it's choked away by the cares of life or I run immediately as soon as persecution comes. I want to be the man or the woman who will bear fruit. And I'm asking God, I want to be, I want to bear a hundred times the fruit. If, oh Lord, you will let me, let me be that kind of seed that grows into that kind of tree that grows strong. But one of the things I wanted to point out that I never had seen before was the word that was spoken in this parable was the word of the kingdom the word of the kingdom. And that is so important because that is going to go all the way back to the beginning of time before God even created the world. The very first time, or no, let's see, on January 1st, we talked about the creation of the world. And there in Matthew twenty-five thirty-four, we see he had prepared the kingdom. Because see, I love, Mike, Mike talked about this last night. Um, if anyone of you guys were here on Sunday night. We, um, we meet and gather together and our primary focus is on the kingdom of God. And one of the things he said is God didn't create the kingdom because the kingdom is you and I. The kingdom is a place that is filled with people. And you're going to hear me say this over and over again. It is filled with people who will willingly surrender to the reign of God and actively participate in an intimate partnership with him. So part of this podcast today is after I heard what Mike was talking about last night, it just got me. A matter of fact, gosh, I was up. I could not sleep last night because I was so excited and putting pieces together that I've been reading in my one year Bible and hearing the teaching from last night, which by the way, I'm going to have a link. If you're interested in hearing about that teaching, there will be a link in my notes at the bottom of the podcast where you can where you can click on it and you can go back and you can hear Mike teach more about the kingdom. Actually, I strongly recommend that you do that for those who aren't here on Sunday nights. But anyway, that's a side note. Um, so anyway, but one of the things we talked so much about the kingdom last night, and I just wanted to share a couple verses because Jesus is on the scene now and he's saying it's the word of the kingdom that is going to be preached. And it is the word of the kingdom that we need to understand and that we need to not shy away from when persecution comes and that we need to not let the cares of this world choke it out. So we need to understand what is that kingdom all about if this is what Jesus was so concerned about. So look with me, if you will, in Mark 
And again, this is by way of review. A lot of these verses we looked at last night, but look with me at Mark 1, 14 and 15. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. Okay, this is the very beginning of the book of Mark. We haven't gotten there yet in our one-year Bible. But here we are, the beginning of Mark, and Jesus comes on the scene right away, chapter 1, and he's proclaiming the gospel or the good news of God. And the good news of God was this. This is what he says. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, change the way you think and believe in this good news. This good news is that the kingdom of God is standing right in front of you, close enough for you to touch. It's right here. And it says in Luke 16, 16, it says this, the law and the prophets were until John. So John came. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was in the New Testament, but he was considered the last of one of the Old Testament prophets. And so the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since then, the good news of the kingdom is preached. And everyone forces his way into it. And finally, in Luke 4.43, it says this. Luke 4.43 says this. I must preach, this is Jesus. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So here we have in this parable of the sower, Jesus, or the sower, is throwing out seeds And the seeds he's throwing out is the word of the kingdom. And Jesus is here as the king of the kingdom. And he's saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is before you and it's close enough to touch. But what I wanted to do, because I got so excited after I heard this last night, I was so excited and I thought I can't just... We've been sick and I've missed the last couple of weeks, but I don't want to miss what I've seen in the kingdom and all that I've seen in the book of Genesis. So I just wanted to give kind of an overview of the book of Genesis and to show step by step, day by day, how the kingdom of God was being prepared right there in the very first book of the Bible. Because, you know, a couple days ago, it was funny because um, I had been actually thinking, it's so funny because when I was sick, I'm laying in my bed and I have all these things in, in Genesis and we're reading about the kingdom in the book of Matthew and I have all of these things and I'm putting these pieces together in my mind and I kept thinking, oh, I just want to do a podcast and just to just share and just, I just, I get honestly, okay, I get so excited. I want to shout to the world the things that I see. So um, a good friend of ours, Carol, came in and, and she wasn't feeling so well. I wasn't feeling so well. And, and we were talking about the one-year Bible and Genesis. And one of the things that she said was, you know, I just, I want to be able to look into Genesis and to see how some of these things relate to the kingdom of God. Because I know that the entire word of God is pointing us to his kingdom. 
but I just don't see how all of these different pieces fit together. So that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to try and do today, or at least start to do today. I don't know that I'll be able to finish it, but so Genesis is about beginnings. It talks about how we got where we are, talks about what went wrong in the first place. And then more importantly, it talks about how it will be fixed. And the book of Genesis, I think is so fascinating to me anyway, because it's the forming of nations. You see, it started with two people and then it, it's just growing larger and larger and that there's the fall and there's so many things. And all the while in the background, there's this master almighty God who is taking these people and these pieces. He's forming nations and he's changing history or creating history. And all of it is preparing the way to his kingdom. Anyway, so, um, so I'm going to just start. I just, I really just have my Bible open before me. And so I hope even as I'm going through this, that it makes sense. Cause I'm just going to just jot it down some things and I'm just going to talk my way through it. And hopefully it makes sense all in the end. Um, so to begin in Genesis one, and this is key and actually, ah, I don't know if I'm going to get much beyond this because I have a lot to say about this. But in Genesis 1.28, it says this, and it's so foundational to our understanding of scripture. It's so foundational to our understanding of what went wrong with mankind. So I'm going to read it. Um, Genesis 1.28. It says this, it says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Very beginning, Genesis 1, it says, and God blessed them. And I think where we get really messed up, I know I have, and I'm going to share an example later on. <laughs> of my own life in this, where we get really messed up is our understanding of what it means to be blessed by God. We have no idea, especially in this culture, what it means to be blessed by God. Because see, I hear Christians all the time talking about being blessed by God. And they they say things like this. Yeah, God blessed me with a new car. Or I feel so blessed he gave me this house. Or I feel so blessed he gave me a healthy baby. On and on and on. We see the blessing of God comes with the things that he gives us. Many times the physical things that he gives us. But my question is what about when we don't get the car? When we can't afford it? Or when we lose our house? Or even more importantly, what about when the baby isn't healthy? My youngest little girl has Down syndrome, and we adopted her from Hong Kong when she was two years old. And it breaks my heart because that's exactly her story. Her parents were so excited. It was, they had recently been married. This was their first baby, and just like you and I, so excited. 
so excited about the birth of this little girl that they knew that they were having. Went to the hospital. Baby's born. And she has Down syndrome. And they walked away. She wasn't good enough. And I know that the people in China, because I've spoken with them, when they're, when they're given a child with Down syndrome, the sky is falling. So if we associate the blessing of God with the good things that he may give us, the new house, the new car, the healthy baby, does that mean we're not blessed of God when we don't get those things? Well, what I learned when I looked up this verse in the Hebrew And again, we talk about this, and I'm going to give a very brief summary of this. And I'm really close to my father-in-law, and we've talked about this at length, the subject at length. I've wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. So what I'm giving you is just an overview of hours and hours that I've wrestled through this. But my goodness, I know my father-in-law, and that man studies the scriptures. And I would say he probably has about... 600 hours into studying this and he's we've and so we've just talked and talked and talked about this but it has been foundational in my faith because this word in Genesis 128 where it says and God blessed them that word means to kneel to kneel What in the world? To kneel. God kneeled them. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 95, because this is one of the greatest illustrations of the meaning of this word in all of Scripture. I'm going to read, starting in verse 1, Psalm 95, verse 1. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel. That's our word. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. There's our word right there. Barak in the Hebrew. Let us kneel. Before the Lord, our God, our maker. So back in Genesis 1, God had just created man in his image. And before he did anything else, he kneeled them. So back in Genesis 1, 28, it says, And God blessed them. And God kneeled them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He told them what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to 
fill the earth and subdue it. He was going to give them the ability to do that. But they were to live in the garden, in this kneeled, surrendered relationship to him. And God calls that blessed. Verse 215 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let me back up a minute, say a couple more things because, um, it talked about, so it says in God bless them, but it went back to when God actually formed the man. And it says in verse 2, verse 7, it says, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And if you look into what that is, it's not that, you know, the, the life that God has given us, it says we are created in the image of God and he breathed life into us. That life And that physical being, us in the image of God, it's not about our arms and our legs and our physical features. It's about the breath of life that he breathed into us that was in the image of God. He breathed life into us and God saw it and God said, it is good. And right there in the garden, I'm I'm just looking down to verse 9 if you're following with me. It says, and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. And I find so interesting. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Find so interesting. The tree of life was right there, right there in the middle of the garden. And this is going to be so important as we talk about the preparation for the kingdom of God. Because the tree of life right there in the beginning in the garden of Eden was right there. And they were not forbidden to eat of it. They were not forbidden to eat of the tree of life. The only tree they were commanded not to eat of was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. This is so important. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve, you will die. So don't do it. Don't do it. Why was this so important? Why was this so important? You see, they were created in the image of God. There was no evil yet within them. They did not know good and evil. But if you eat that tree, Adam and Eve, from that tree, you will die. But the funny thing is, we read the story... What does that mean? Because we know that they ate it. How did they die? My question is this. What is eternal life? 
You see, we, we tend to have this idea that eternal life means we're just going to live forever in this perfect place with no more tears. But that's not how Jesus defines eternal life. Eternal life as defined by Jesus is this, John seventeen three, And this is eternal life, that they may know you. That they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, Adam and Eve. If you eat it, you will die. And the death wasn't that they just would no longer exist because we are all created as eternal beings. The death is the death of that relationship and they would no longer have that relationship where they are now surrendered under the king of kings and walking in that partnership with him. You see, they were supposed to rule their world. They were supposed to rule the garden, to rule their surroundings in a partnership with God. They weren't going to be God. They would rule their world underneath in that submitted, yielded relationship to God. But when they were there, he would walk with them. And he would know them. And that word to know and the reason why when we talk about it, can you hear that? It's the rain. It's raining. It's about 40 degrees in the tent right now. And it's pouring rain. And I'm covered in blankets and a hat and all this. Anyway. So they were supposed to rule their world in that relationship with their creator. And that word to know is the same word for a marital relationship. In a marriage relationship, it's a partnership where both people are walking together to the same goals in life. That's the kind of relationship that Adam and Eve were supposed to have with God in the garden. Surrender to him. And walking day by day by day in this intimate partnership with him. So don't, Adam and Eve, don't eat that tree. Because I want you to have eternal life with me. And eternal life is to know me. To know, to have that intimate partnership with me. And when they ate the fruit, it was broken. And until we understand that the fall of mankind is way more than eating an apple, we will never understand the word of the kingdom that Jesus came to fulfill. Jesus came to fulfill. We will not understand the word of the kingdom or this entire book until we understand the fall of mankind was about them turning their back. And actually it says in um, First, First Timothy 2.14, it says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And that word to, to deceive means using tactics like deception, giving distorted impressions, and to lure. To lure into deception. And that's exactly what Satan did to Adam and Eve. He lured them 
did God actually say you couldn't eat that treat? You think that's really, really what he meant? Is that, is that actually what he meant? And then he says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, that's the thing that Satan always wanted. He didn't like, he was one of the most beautiful angels before the throne of God. And he decided that wasn't good enough. He wanted to be God. He wanted to rule like God. And God said, no way. And he kicked him right out. And now that same being, that same enemy of our souls wants to deceive us and and take away the rule of God that he's placed before us. And it's not going to happen. That is a part of coming in to God's kingdom. It's that surrender to the reign of God. And when we do that, we have that active participation and intimacy with him. But Satan says that you will eat of it and your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. They would be like God. They, in the sense that they would know good and evil. But Satan, he's deceiving them. He is absolutely lying to them when he says, did God really say? And he's luring them in, luring them, pulling them, pulling them in to get them to turn their back on the command and reign of God. It wasn't just an innocent bite of fruit. The word for transgression is a willful, defiant, deliberate stepping over a known law as a willful decision. And with Adam and Eve, the entire human race fell. What they did affected us all because death came. And that break of eternal life, that break of knowing him, eternal life is about knowing him. And now that surrendered, intimate relationship that he created to have with us is completely severed. And now as they continue to have children, they continue to bear children in this state of transgression. And Jesus came to fix it all. As soon as um, Adam and Eve fell, the first thing the Bible says is they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Because that is what death is all about. No longer being in the presence of the Lord. And they were afraid. They hid themselves and they were afraid. Our God is so good. We are in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. And he lays out the plan of God 
right here. His very next breath is a breath of redemption. You want to see the kingdom in the book of Genesis? Read with me Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. But look with me here. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Satan just thought he won. God has his creation. He had this intimate partnership walking with them in this relationship. He deceived them and he made them fall. And he made them die. Hidden from the presence of the Lord. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you in the presence of the Lord. He'll do whatever he can do to deceive you and keep you away from the presence of the Lord. Don't fall for it. But right here, he says, look at this, Satan. I'm going to put enmity between your seed, meaning Christ, the Messiah, the King. Listen to me, Satan. You are going to bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And right there is the first foretaste of the kingdom of God when he will restore all things and bring us back to eternal life in relationship with him. So God takes the garments of skin and he clothes them. There's so many foreshadowings in the Bible. I love it. That's the, a foreshadowing. Garments of skin. He slayed an animal. A picture of what he would do with himself years and years and years down the road. And he clothed them. He covered them. Just like we need to be covered and clothed with Christ. But what I just... Oh. Listen to this. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove him out. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. Because that tree of life means if you eat of it, you will live forever. And God did not want his people to live forever in a broken relationship with him. He said, I'm not going to let that happen. And he is going to guard it. He is going to guard it until the way can be made open again to the tree of life. And that tree of life is going to be guarded and it's going to be sealed away from us all. But it's going to come back again. And I, ah, I love this because in 
Revelation 22. Verse 1, let me read this to you. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The leaves of the tree of life were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever in the kingdom with him. There is a way back to the tree of life and his name is Jesus and he came for a kingdom And the people who belong to that kingdom are the people who will willingly surrender to his reign and will actively participate in an intimate partnership with him. You know, it's taken me a long time to learn some of these things. I'm going to tell you a story. We talked about, we just talked about the blessing of God and living in that blessed relationship. Well, there was a time when I was about 25 years old, and Derek and I, when we, when we first got married, we had bought a brand new condo. We loved it. We were so excited. We got married. We moved into it. But after a couple years, I think we lived there three years, our son Caleb had been born, and we had decided to sell it. And one of the reasons we had decided to sell it is because we had fallen in love. See, we had lived on... We, we now had a baby. We were on the second floor. We didn't have any yard or anything like that. So we, we found this other condo. Some friends of ours had some friends of ours had told us about a little condo. Actually it was more like a town home. And it had this little yard. And we went over there and they showed us that little town home and we just fell in love with it. It was all we could afford. So thought, okay, we'll we'll sell our house. And our dream was to buy this little town home where Caleb could have a little, a little yard where he could play. And I was so excited about it. Anyway, I wanted that house so badly. And I remember, I remember laying on my bed and I thought, you know, I'm going to pray about this. But have you ever, looking back, I think um, God really isn't as stupid as... Maybe I made him out to be, even though I probably wasn't thinking this way at the time. Matthew 6, 7, verse 7. I I was laying there on my bed and I thought, oh, I just, I wanted that new house so badly. And I thought, if I could just pray in such a way that I could make God give it to us. I was just thinking through the scriptures and I just wanted to pray in such a way that 
he would give me this quote unquote blessing. Like I talked about the American idea of blessing that he would bless me with this house. Anyway, so I read this verse. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Well, so, so I thought to myself, well, there it is. See, God, I'm a child of God. He's not going to give me a stone when I'm asking for a fish. You know, he knows my heart that this would be so great for our little boy. So he's going to be a good father, right? He's going to give me this house. At least that's what I was hoping. I want him to bless me with a house. Anyway, I thought to myself, and it's funny because I think God totally set me up for this because I I thought, well, I'm going to look over, trying to confirm it a little bit more in my mind. I'm going to turn over to the book of Luke because I know the same promise is in the book of Luke. I'm going to turn over there and see what it says. So So I open it and it says similar thing, but it says this, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who will ask? Well, wait a second here. That's, that's not quite what I was asking for, is it? I wanted a house. And he said he'd give me the Holy Spirit. I wanted a house. And he offered himself. What I didn't know was that God had totally set me up, like I said. And he had uncovered in my heart a huge truth. And that was this. I desired the gifts that he could give me more than I desired himself. I wanted the things that he could give me more than I wanted him. Well, this began, began kind of a wrestling in my spirit. God had just proven, absolutely proven what was really in my heart. And uh, I really battled it for a time. And we were still thinking about selling the house. And I remember this one day I walked down our garage detached. I, I went downstairs, crossed the, the parking lot, opened our garage and there was a bookshelf. I was just looking for something to read. I was kind of wrestling in my heart just to look, just looking for something to read. And this bright yellow book just popped out at me. This bright yellow book, never seen it before. It was Derek's And um, it was the book called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. So knowing kind of what was in my heart and the wrestling with this whole house thing, I picked it up and I read it. Actually, I didn't even read the whole thing. I probably read the first three chapters and I could not to this day tell you exactly what they said. 
I can just testify that they changed my life. Because what they did was put a fire in my heart that said, all right, God, I'm putting my foot down right here. And I'm going to trust you like I've never trusted you before. So we had this decision in front of us. We are still looking and to sell this house. I had no idea. The, that other house, our house was not sold. That other house was already on the market. I had no idea if God would keep that house for me. But I did this. Well, I say I. I'm telling you my story, but it's something that Derek and I both did together. We said, we're going to just trust God. And if it's his will that we sell our house, he will sell it for us. You see, we didn't have money for a realtor at that time. Matter of fact, that would have totally defeated the purpose of even selling our house. So we didn't have money for a realtor. And I remember we had a realtor friend come over to look at our house just to give us some pointers. And she basically said, you know, you guys really need a realtor. You're not going to be able to sell this by yourselves. And I says, okay. And I got down on my knees and I said, God, they say we can't do this. I was a 25-year-old kid. I didn't know what I was doing. But I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to trust you. And if you want us to sell this house, then it's, the ball is in your court. We are just going to surrender and follow you. So we did what we, you know, we were instructed to do. We painted the house. I think we even put in new carpeting. We did everything we could to clean up the house. And we got ready. We put flowers out, cooked the cookies, did all the things you're supposed to do. We are going to have our own open house. And on this day, um, our very first open house, people came. We were, we were in awe because tons of people just kept coming, kept coming, kept passing through. And at the end of the day, someone made an offer on our house. And we were floored. We were floored because they said, God, they said this is impossible. And we said, we're going to trust you. And you sold our house. Isn't this exciting? Well, and a week later, it fell through. And God said, but will you trust me? So at that point, we weren't too discouraged, right? We were all excited. We thought, oh, we sold it once. We, we certainly can do this again. We, we, we got it all ready again. We got the flowers, the cookies smelling good, the candles, the lights, everything that we needed to do. Put our house on the market. Open house. Lots of people came. Lots of people looked. No offers. So we did it again and again. I think on the third open house, we got a friend of ours who called us. Actually, he didn't even come to the open house. He just called us on the phone and he says, hey, you guys, I hear you're selling your condo. I'd like to buy it. I said, are you serious? Here we thought, you know, there's a stranger going to buy it, fell through. We thought, God, this is so amazing. You sent this friend of ours, he's going to buy it. So anyway, we enter into escrow with this friend of ours. Two weeks later, he calls again and said, I'm sorry. Guys, I made a mistake. I, I can't afford it. I can't, I can't buy your house right now. It's not going to work out. And we were devastated. And God said, but are you going to trust me? And I remember this one day, sitting down, just talking to God about this. I think I was just so new 
so new and just laying it all. Just laying, I just always challenge people, just lay it all out. Trust God with everything that you have. And so, so many times when I'm in these situations and I get discouraged, I just go and I just pour out my heart before God. And I was doing that. And he basically said to me this. He said, you know, trusting me is not an emotional decision, Elizabeth. It is an act of your will. And I'll never forget that because it changed my life. Because, you know, our emotions, especially as women, can go all over the place. And we won't feel like we're trusting God. And I had to set my foot down that day and say, okay, God, you know what? I'm giving you my heart. And I'm going to choose right now to trust you. And I did. Before I knew it. My heart was back in it, and I was just trusting and trusting. So anyway, we go back, and we, again, uh, put our house back on the market and have another open house, and no one came. A couple weeks later, geared back up again, had another house, open house, no one came. And I remember sitting there on the couch with Derek and Caleb. He was a baby. And you know when you're trying to sell your house and you have to keep it just perfect. And here I had a one-year-old and trying to have this open house. No one is coming, but we're trying to keep all the toys away. And so I said, you know what? Would you mind? Would you mind just staying here? And I'm just going to go over to my mom and dad's house with the baby so he can get down on the floor and play. And he was crawling at that time. Sterek said, sure, I'll stay here. So I'm driving to my mom and dad's house, about a 10-minute drive. And on the way, I just remember, I just prayed a prayer of surrender. I said, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know. Do you want us to sell our house? Whatever you want, Lord. I surrender to you. But God, can I be honest with you? I said, if I could have my way, I would love our house to sell to a family who really needs it. There's a lot of people out there, God, that wouldn't look at our house and think it's very much. But is there a family out there who really needs our house? And God, could I be even more specific? You know how much I was excited about having a baby in Caleb's nursery. Would you send us a family who not only needs our house, but has a baby who could enjoy Caleb's nursery? God, I'm, I'm just your kid. I'm just your child. And I surrender to whatever it is you want for us. These are just the cry of my heart. And I offer them up to you. So anyway, I got to my mom and dad's house and I walked in. And as soon as I walked in the house, my mom says, well, Derek's on the phone for you. 
I thought, wow, really? You know, this is the day prior to cell phones. So he called me thinking I was already there. And I had waited a while praying in the car. So I walk in the door. He says, Derek's on the phone for you. Pick up the phone. He says, Elizabeth, there's a family that just walked into our house. A Christian family. And they said they really need our house. They've been looking all over, haven't qualified for anything. They said, this is perfect. This is perfect. And not only that, but they have a little one-year-old baby. And I smile back, thinking about it now, because that one-year-old baby had Down syndrome. And that family says, gosh, this, this house, it's to have this house with that nursery. It's exactly what we've dreamed of. And they bought our house. And I said, God, I trusted you. And my faith grew. But let me tell you, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about just trusting God. It was about the realization that I wanted a house. And he said, but I'm going to give you myself. And if you will surrender to me and walk with me, you will find that the gift of myself is what you really need. The kingdom of God is about a relationship with this king. And if we will willingly surrender to him, if we will willingly surrender to the reign of God in our lives, to this king who came to shed his blood on our behalf. If if we will believe in him, he will restore us. He will put within us the seed of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who will reign within us and walk with us day by day by day in this intimate partnership with him. And someday we will eat together with him from the tree of life in the kingdom of God, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Jesus in John 7 said this. John seven thirty seven. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's the living water in the kingdom that will flow from the throne of God. And when we believe in him, that living water will flow out of our very hearts. As we walk with him. 
as we surrender to him, as we love him. And I'm just going to say one more thing as we go back and close in the book of Genesis. The next story is Cain and Abel. I could talk for a long time about this, and I'm, and I'm not going to. But again, the foreshadowing in Scripture is so beautiful. Cain came to God with an offering, and Abel came to God with an offering. Cain came with the work of the land, the work of his hands. Abel came by the blood of a sacrifice. as a foreshadowing of what we must come with as we enter the kingdom of God. It always will be a sacrifice. But my challenge to you, Cain ended up killing Abel. You can go back and you can read the story. And the punishment of God Cain said was greater than he could bear. Because the punishment of God was being hidden from his presence. He says, I can't take that. I cannot take being hidden from your presence. And it says, and Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. We all have a choice. We were created to live for eternal life in this intimate relationship, this intimate partnership with him. Don't choose to live in the land of Nod, away from the presence of God. Don't go there. Come by the blood of the sacrifice. Come by the blood of Jesus. Come back restored into the presence of God, into that intimate partnership with him. The land of Nod is the land of wandering. Don't go there. Don't go there. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first that intimate partnership, surrendering to the throne of God. Seek that first. He's going to take care of the rest. Just whatever you do, don't settle for the land of Nod.